welcome to Conservation Cafe. This is a podcast for those of you engaged at the front lines of the conservation and sustainability battles. I'm your host, Hillary Wilkinson. I'm a science communication and stakeholder engagement expert, and this podcast shines a bright spotlight on the battles we are winning, and even more importantly, how they're being won. Thanks for tuning in. When we were, especially when we were um, fishing close to shore, man, we would just pull up. Sometimes we would just get tangled up on pull up crab pot after crab pot after crab pot after crab pot. And I was like, wow, I didn't really, I didn't even know that was an issue. Well, we're in the hardest summer here in the Pacific Northwest. And after the dud of a summer that was delivered up in 2020, you can imagine the flurry of activity happening as a result of local and out-of-town visitors descending on our cities and towns, our lakes and our rivers and our mountains, and pertinent to today's episode, to our marine waters. The first times I had crab, I was scared actually because I thought it was a underwater spider so I didn't really want to eat it but I had it and I was shocked it tasted amazing it was so delicious that I love it I go crabbing with my uncle delicious that was my 10 year old daughter Jada and she has a fairly typical persnickety palate for somebody her age hot dogs and pizza and mac and cheese and that sort of thing. But she's also a born and bred Pacific Northwesterner, and being my daughter, she has had a lot of expeditions to local beaches for camping and crabbing, and therefore she has developed quite the palate for eating Dungeness crabs. And she is far from alone. It's actually one of the most popular items on Washington seafood menus. It's almost impossible to overstate how important Dungeness crabs are to the Puget Sound region. It's not just important to people like Jada who love to eat them, but it's economically important. We have a really robust commercial fishery, both a state fishery and a tribal fishery. And together, it's estimated that about $80 million a year is brought in from the Dungeness crab fishery. And for Northwest tribes, Dungeness crabs are very culturally important. They've been a mainstay of the diet for thousands of years, but they're also becoming an increasingly important part of tribal economies as Western Washington salmon stocks continue to decline. Now, Dungeness crabs are found from the Aleutian Islands in Alaska all the way down to the central coast of California. So it's not just here in the Pacific Northwest where they are important and beloved, This goes far beyond our borders here, but the Puget Sound region is the focus of our episode today. And then when I moved to the Bellingham area and I learned of the Northwest Straits Foundation and their derelict fishing gear program, I was, you know, I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm really interested in that. You know, it's something that I've seen, I've seen firsthand, you know, and I'd like to be a part of that if I can. I'm here in the studio with Jason Morgan, who is a longtime colleague, and I'd like to invite Jason to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Jason Morgan. I'm Marine Projects Manager for the Northwest Straits Foundation, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Hillary. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jason, especially when we're kind of in the middle of this crazy once-in-a-thousand-year heat dome experience. And I know we're both a little bit miserable right now because it's, it's really hot here in the studio because we don't have AC. But thank you for your commitment and coming in anyway. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a little stuffy, but we'll make do. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Great. 
Well, Jason, I have asked you here to the Conservation Cafe studio today to talk about a very cool project that you lead for the Northwest Straits Foundation, the Catch More Crab campaign. I was hoping that you could share with my listeners a little bit more about this campaign and specifically, you know, what is it about? Why are you doing it? And what problem is it trying to address? So in the Puget Sound region, we have a really robust Dungeness crab fishery. South Sound has some issues right now, but, you know, the majority of Puget Sound has a really good Dungeness crab fishery. And so to catch more crab campaign, what we're trying to do is trying to avoid the gear loss that happens within that fishery. There is over, we have new numbers now. Um, Previously, we've always said there's over 12,000 crab pots that are lost every year in the Puget Sound region. We're now updating those numbers to a little over 10,000. But either way, that's a lot of crab pots that are lost every year. And when these pots are lost, they continue to do what they're designed to do is continue to catch crab. And with nobody there to pull the pots and harvest them, these crabs are just going to die and go to waste down there. So what we're doing is we are educating crabbers on how to be a responsible crabber out there because the majority of the reasons for this gear loss is user error. So what we're trying to do is properly educate crabbers to go out there because nobody goes out there with the intention to lose their gear while they're out there. You know, you put in a lot of effort. You want to come home with crab. Everybody wants to catch crab, hence the, you know, slogan, catch more crab. So that's that's what we're working to do. That's great. I just wanted to share this past weekend, I was out on Lummi Island, which is near Bellingham. We were talking about this before the interview started. And I was out on the water on paddle boards with a bunch of kids, including this little four-year-old boy named Zane. And there were all these Dungeness crabs kind of running around underneath our paddle boards. And the joy that this little four-year-old boy had in watching these Dungeness crab go underneath the paddleboard, it was really, really sweet. And I just wanted to mention it because the power of this Dungeness crab kind of fishery in this region that we're in, you can't really overstate it. It's it's really powerful for people of all ages, all economic spectrums, all across. And I just wanted to ask you kind of, how did you get into this realm? Like, are you a crab fisherman yourself? What attracts you to this? Um, I do. Yeah, I do crab. I love crabbing. So when you hear the term derelict gear that we use a lot, we mean derelict fishing gear. And in Puget Sound, you're generally talking about gill nets and crab pots. And so with the crab pot issue, so previously before I worked at the foundation, I was a fisheries observer on the outer coast working in the ground fishery. So I worked on, I was a biologist and I worked on a lot of bottom trawlers. And when we, especially when we were um, fishing close to shore, man, we would just pull up. Sometimes we would just get tangled up and pull up crab pot after crab pot after crab pot after crab pot. And I was like, wow, I didn't. Really, I didn't even know that was an issue. And then when I moved to the Bellingham area and I learned of the Northwest Straits Foundation and their derelict fishing gear program, I was, you know, I was like, wow, that, you know, I'm really interested in that. You know, it's something that I've seen, I've seen firsthand, you know, and I'd like to be a part of that if I can. And obviously, long story short, here I am. And so I really enjoy being a part of it. But like you said, it's just a Dungeness Crab is a really exciting thing. You know, I have a five-year-old daughter who just loves to go. We take her out all the time. And something that's really good about the fishery here in the Puget Sound region, too, is that it's really accessible when you think about other fisheries that we have. You know, really to be successful salmon fishing, for the most part, most people have, you know, boats that cost a lot of money. There's a lot of gear that goes into it. Whereas when you think about crabbing, you know, you can crab from docks. You can wade out and catch crab. You can go snorkeling and catch crab. You can have big boats and catch crab. You know, until last year, I was crabbing out of a canoe. You know, just make sure you're in some safer waters when you're doing it. And now I just have a small eight-foot boat that we go out, you know. So it's a really accessible, you know, your Puget Sound crab endorsement, I think, I don't know, it's a 20 bucks. You know, it's, it's just a really, you know, it's a really uh, affordable and easy way for people to get out there and enjoy it. And it seems that most people around here love crab, and I sure do. 
That's great. I think I'd heard a long time ago about your background and kind of why you ended up here, but it was great to hear again because I'd sort of forgotten it. And that's that's so interesting. You have this firsthand experience of seeing kind of the impacts to the species from various fishing practices. And, you know, we're here today specifically to talk about the Lost Crab Pot campaign, but you had mentioned that it's kind of part of a bigger initiative of Lost Fishing Gear. And I was hoping just for a moment if we could sort of pan out and talk about that bigger issue of Lost Fishing Gear and if you could share kind of what that is, what other Lost Fishing Gear are we talking about And if you know of any stats on the economic or environmental impacts of it. Yeah. So, you know, here we have a regional problem, but it's a a global problem. You know, it happens throughout the world. And then it's unique to different regions, obviously, because you have different fisheries, you have different types of gear, you have different politics, all, you know, there's all types of reasons why it's different issues in in different areas. And here in the Puget Sound region, as I mentioned, we're generally talking about gill nets and crab pots. To a lesser extent, they're shrimp pots. The reason is to a lesser extent, it's it's a really more of a limited fishery. You know, it's a lot shorter seasons, a lot less gear that's going in the water. But with any type of fishing, you know, just think about if you go out trout fishing, you know, and you lose a fishing lure, where where there's any type of fishing that's happening, there's going to be gear loss. So we just got to try to figure out how to minimize that gear loss. And that's what this program is aimed at. But we're, we're looking at the at the larger picture of the gear loss. So we mainly focus on the gill nets from the salmon fishery and the, the pots from the Dungeness crab fishery. We also um, are working on some shrimp pot stuff and, and some other stuff there in between. Um, but thinking of like the economic impacts, to give you an example for, for just a crab fishery alone, so currently with that estimated over 10,000 crab pots being lost each year, um, that's about 100, over 152,000 large male legal size crabs that are lost every year in those crab pots. And if you think of the ex-vessel value, so what a boat gets at the dock for that, that's $1.36 million worth of crab. You know, and that's just what the boat gets at the dock, you know, so then everybody else is making money off of that onwards and upwards. It's a big impact to the fishery. You know, the Dungeness crab fishery alone, the commercial harvest over the last five years has harvested an average of 9.9 million pounds, and that's a $47.2 million fishery. So it's very significant economical and cultural impacts as well. When you think of, we have 14 treaty tribes in the Puget Sound region that all, all crab within this area. So now we're going to kind of pivot back to the Catch More Crab program and your efforts to reduce crab loss in Puget Sound, Northwest Straits region of Puget Sound. And I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about kind of how this program came about. Why did Northwest Straits Foundation choose to step into this work? Yeah, so, you know, outreach has always been a part of our approach to dealing with derelict fishing gear. You know, we come at it with a three-pronged approach, uh, research removals and outreach. So research, done a lot of research to, you know, when we first got into this, there was virtually nothing known about derelict fishing gear, you know, it's hidden down at the bottom. So we've done a lot of research to better understand the impacts, how to deal with it and other solutions such as gear modifications and stuff like that. And then removals, you know, we identify gear, we get divers in the water and remove it out. But then, you know, we really kind of, especially with crab pots, because there's so many pots lost every year, you know, we've come to realize that the outreach component is really the most important part of our the way that we are dealing with derelict crab pots, because you can't go out and remove those many pots every year. Um, and just like any source of pollution or litter, um, you know, cutting it off at a source is is, is the main goal. So we, we don't have it coming in. Um, 
And so the way kind of Catch More Crab got started, we have been doing outreach throughout the years, but, you know, no, no kind of science behind it, you know, just kind of coming up with our own marketing schemes and slogans. And we didn't feel like we were being very effective at it. It didn't used to be Catch More Crab. It used to be Ghost Pots of Puget Sound. And, you know, as us being professionals in marine conservation, you know, if we hear something like that, we see a picture of a bunch of dead crab in a pot. We're like, oh, goodness, what is that? And how do we stop that from happening? You know, you know, but we learned that doesn't mean that's going to catch everybody's attention. And so what we did is we hired a marketing firm to help us figure that out. And so the process was, is a marketing firm, they went out to the user groups that we're working with, the recreational crabbers are our targets out there. And so they went out and conducted a couple different series of interviews and the information they were gathering from these user groups are, are stuff like, where do they get their information from? How do they digest their information? Where do they want to learn the information from? What would motivate them to change? Why do they go crabbing? What kind of messaging would they like to have? And that's how the Catch More Crab campaign and these different slogans and imagings and stuff that we have came about. You know, we switched from the doom and gloom, ghost pots of the Puget Sound to the feel good, Catch More, you know, now we have a little crab cartoon. It's like our our mascot, you know? So it's very different imaging, very different message that we're putting out there. And when you think about it, it's pretty simple, you know, but it took some money and working with a consultant team to figure it out. But I'm glad we did because whatever your goal is, whatever makes you feel good, makes you want to change. If you're going out to crab, there's one thing you're trying to do. You're trying to catch crab. So catch more crab is going to get people. You know, I even, I've done a lot of talks throughout the region and I did this one workshop at a sporting goods store. And at the end of it, this guy came up to me and he's like, I'm, I'm a commercial crabber. I've been commercial crabbing for years. And he goes, I came to this because you had catch more crab and I thought you were going to teach me a way to catch more crab. And I was like, well, it worked. I got you here. And I said, did you enjoy it? And he said, yeah, I really did enjoy it. So it's working. It's even getting people who, you know, we didn't expect would come to us or are coming to us and learning more. That is so cool to hear because, you know, as you know, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. I love that you had a previous kind of outreach strategy that this marketing firm kind of came forward and sounds like decided this doom and gloom approach was not effective and that something that was more effective was something that kind of caught people's attention and and was about something that was beneficial to them specifically. You know, they want to catch more crab and this is a way to do it. Could you talk a little bit more about what was some of the message, like the, once you got their attention, what were some of the messages you were saying to them? Because my understanding is you're trying to get them to basically change their behavior and, and do their crabbing practices differently in order not to have their crab pots lost out in the marine waters, creating these kind of environmental impacts. So how did you know what you wanted them to do differently, and how did you tell them to do those things? Something that really helped out with our messaging is in, I believe it was 2015, we developed, it's called the Lost Crab Pot Plan. And what we did is we got together as many of the stakeholders throughout the region that we could to help us better understand the causes, problems, and solutions for derelict crab pots. So we got representatives from the majority of the 14 treaty tribes, Department of Fish and Wildlife, NOAA, marine traffic industry. We had the Coast Guard. We had 
vessel tow companies, and we had a lot of different, a lot of different uh, citizen groups, angling groups, all come together for two separate workshops to help us put this plan together so we could better understand what the causes are and what the solutions are. And so those causes kind of help drive what our messaging is. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot, a lot of it is user error. And so really what we're trying to teach people to do is how to properly set up their crabbing gear and know where to set their crabbing gear so it doesn't get lost. That's where, that's where the problem comes in. Over 200,000 recreational crab licenses are sold every year. Everybody can have two pots. And when you think about that over 10,000 pots lost every year, it kind of, that's a big number, but man, there's a lot is going on in the water out there. Of those people, about 30% of them, so about 60,000 are people who have never bought a license in this area before. So presumably that's a lot of inexperienced, uneducated crabbers that are going out there. So you can go to your, you can go to your local box store and buy a crab pot for like 30 bucks and think you're ready to go. But that crab pot's going to be lightweight. It's not going to tell you how much line to put out. And there's a lot of different things that you need to do to it to get it set up and ready to go so it doesn't become lost. And so those are the things we're trying to teach people to do. You mentioned a couple of workshops that you did. This is kind of how I became engaged with this topic. If you remember, we uh, I was brought in to help facilitate those workshops. And I'm just mentioning it right now because <laughs> I wasn't really intending to, but I think it's really important when you think about how do you have an effective conservation effort like this program is, and we'll get to the successes of it in just a minute. It doesn't just come out of the blue. And what I recall from those couple of workshops, in addition to the diversity of kind of expertise and perspectives and entities out in the region coming together in the same room to identify the problem and come to agreement on what the problem was, but they also came to agreement on what the solutions needed to be, and they prioritized those solutions. And one of the priority solutions, as I recall, was implementing this really great social marketing-based outreach campaign. Yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah, that was one of the top priorities of it, particularly because the majority of those pots come from the recreational fishery. So or the over 10,000 is about 9,300 of those come from the recreational fishery. So there are pots that are lost in the, in the commercial fishery as well, but it's significantly less and kind of different reasons that are behind it. So yeah, uh, that's, I would say it's, it's definitely our number one priority now is educating crabbers to be responsible crabbers. And that'll have a, uh, that'll have a, a huge positive effect on, on what's happening out there. So you are targeting primarily recreational crabbers. And can you share a little bit about like the specific kind of media that you're using to get these messages out to them? Yep, absolutely. So Northwest Straits Foundation, we're part of the Greater Northwest Straits Initiative. And within initiative, we have these seven marine resources committees with, within each of the counties within from Snohomish County up to the border, out through the Straits of San Juan de Fuca. So each one of these MRCs has a, uh, has a group of volunteers and they do a lot of the legwork for us. So we, you know, we have brochures that we send out and posters we send out. And so these MRCs are doing a good job of getting this information. They'll go down, sit, they'll go down to docks during opening weekend. They'll hand them out to crabbers. They get them in their local stores so they can be handed out with license sale, with gear sales, putting posters and stuff, you know, in marinas and stuff like that. And then, you know, really where we've really been able to reach a lot of people is back when we were doing that research with that marketing firm is that most people are going to get their information online. Most people are using social media. So a social media campaign, particularly Facebook, is what we started doing. So we do a we do a Facebook ad campaign every year. It actually, so podcasts will launch later, but right now, June 29th, we're 
two days away from the crabbing season starting, three days. It starts on July 1st. And so today we just started this year's marketing campaign. So we used to start, a, we used to start roughly about a week before the season starts. And so the way that works is, you know, we target people on Facebook who show interest in crabbing, boating, fishing, you know, different things that will relate to what we're trying to the audience that we're trying to get to within their activity on Facebook. And then hopefully one of our videos will come up. So we have four short videos. Something else we learned during that, that I think we all know by now is that we all have a short attention spans these days, you know, so we're, we're trying to cover a lot of topics. There's a lot of different things we want you to understand how to do with your crab pot and where to set your gear. And so we are like, okay, we can make one five minute video and hope people watch it, or we can just you know, condense it down and do four one minute videos and focus on certain topics for each one of those videos. And so these videos will come up within your Facebook feed and, you know, it's just about a one minute video. Um, and it's been great, you know, but with all this, we've been reaching about over 300,000 people is what we've been reaching since 2016 is when we launched the Catch More Crab campaign. And so every year we've been reaching over 300,000 people, you know, and then we have other media channels with our YouTube page and, you know, different partners share it a lot. Another great thing is that these videos, you know, there's a lot of pot fisheries throughout the world and we've had organizations throughout the world that have actually asked for and use these videos. These videos have been showcased from California to Europe. So it's not, it's not, you know, it's applicable in other places of the world, which is really cool. So it's been, it's been great that we've been helping here and beyond with these videos we created. I love that you have a reach broader than the Salish Sea region. I think that's fantastic. So congratulations on that. The other thing I love is a couple things really come to mind. One is that I am somebody who really studies and tries to understand messaging strategies for conservation purposes that are effective in kind of eliciting behavior change on the part of people, because usually you need people to change behavior to protect mm-hmm. <laughs> resources that typically seems to be the case. And two things that you're doing in your campaign, which which I know the social science literature sort of supports, one is that you are using kind of really important messengers. So it you know the who delivers the message is just as important as the message itself. And so it sounds like you are really tapping your networks within the seven marine resources committees that you mentioned who live in these communities and have relationships with people in these communities. And they're the ones that are there delivering this message to their cohorts in their communities. That is a great point. 100% true. You know, we've done some workshops, like in-person workshops as well, where we invite the community and we usually we get a representative from Fish and Wildlife and we try to get a tribal representative from that area as well that all work in the shellfish fishery in that area to come and speak and educate the the community on the crab fishery and then the issues of derelict fishing gear and crab management. But what's been the highlight of these workshops is we also get one of those local people, you know, just a, just a local recreational crabber to come in and also speak and give them their tips and tricks, what they do to catch crab, how to properly set up their gear, you know, and typically is like, an, you know, what you would think like of an old salty dog crabber that comes in and talks to them. And that's always the highlight of it. I mean, these people just, they love having the local knowledge there and they just fire off questions left and right, you know, and it's just, yeah, I mean, the, absolutely. The messenger can, can be really key. Well, good for you for doing that. I love that. So, Jason, I wanted to ask you really quickly, who are some of the other players out there in the lost fishing gear world? I know Northwest Straits Foundation isn't alone in this. Who are some of the key players and partners in this effort? 
Yeah, there's a lot. We do not work in a silo over here, that's for sure. You know, it starts with the, you know, with the fishing community itself, the fishing crabbing community, both recreational sector, state commercial sector, the tribal sector, you know, so we got to work closely with all of them. And then, you know, we work really closely with Department of Fish and Wildlife. They're a big help for us. They're a big supporter for us. You know, NOAA has not only funded a lot of projects, but NOAA has partnered with us and helped us on projects as well. And then our longtime contractor and partner, Natural Resources Consultants, they're, you know, they're they're really big help with us in doing this. And, you know, and all those numbers, statistics that I was mentioned that I was throwing out. And so we get a lot of data from Department of Fish and Wildlife. We get a lot of data requests in. They provide us with a lot of good numbers. Kyle Antonellis over at NRC, Natural Resources Consultants, he's the one that's really pulling that data together, doing all that data analysis and putting this report together and giving us those good, those good juicy numbers that I've been using. So now I want to transition our conversation towards the accomplishments of this campaign. I know that there are many, and I know that you collect metrics on how many crab pots get removed, how many are prevented from being lost due to your outreach efforts. And I was wondering if you could share with my listeners what you're finding in terms of the effectiveness of this effort. Yeah, I would start by saying we are very happy with the campaign, but as with any time when you're trying to create behavior change, it can be pretty hard to, you know, to quantify that. And so we're we're looking we're working on different ways to do that. So we have some I guess, anecdotal evidence, you know, and then we all do have, you know, some statistics, you know, that we're, that we're putting together and we're continually working on more ways to figure that out because, you know, we're, reach, we're reaching over 300,000 people. That's awesome. But are we really changing their behavior, you know, and that's what we're constantly, you know, trying to get a feel for. Some anecdotal stuff is just word of mouth out there, you know, when talking to these local communities and getting the messaging out there and hearing what they're saying and hearing the vibe and buzz around it. So I know people are excited about the message that we're, that we're spreading. Something else, you know, we started, you know, here in the Puget Sound region, you know, we, it's not uncommon to have problems with ferries getting caught up in derelict crab pots and it shuts ferries down, screws up travel, costs a lot of money to the, to the ferry system. And a couple of years ago, we started working with the ferries on, on average, getting our information on their ferry system. And, Maybe anecdotally, but we've seen, you know, since then, the past couple of years, we've seen a lot less crab pot entanglements with the ferry system. And I've had people working for the ferry system mention that, you know, it seems like since we've partnered with you and Fish and Wildlife, you know, on how to how to reduce this from happening, it seems that things are maybe changing. So so we got anecdotal stuff like that that we just kind of see and feel out there happening. But then there's some other good stuff. So in 2011, we did a, a big research project to better understand the impacts and overall mortality that lost crab pots were having on the Puget Sound region. And when we did that, we were looking at five-year averages, and that's where we came up with over 12,000 crab pots were lost every year, and that was resulting in over almost 179,000 Dungeness crab lost every year. So now fast forward, we, we, we're just wrapping up a new report reevaluating those numbers, and so now here we are. 2021, these numbers are doing a five-year average from uh, 2015 to 2019. Coincidentally, Catch More Crab launched in 2016. And now we're seeing a five-year average of just over 10,000 crab pots lost every year. Still a big number, but it is a 2,000 crab pot per year reduction. That also brings us down to 152,000 crab lost through those crab pots. So that's a reduction in about 25,000 crab that are being lost every year. And then there's other things that are happening. So we, we do removals. And here in Puget Sound region, during the summer season, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are closed crabbing days. 
And during those closed crabbing days, Department of Fish and Wildlife will go out and do gear sweeps of pots that are still out there and, and have buoys on the water. And so combining those efforts, we have it down to 131,000 crab that are lost every year. So that's like 48,000 less crab that are being lost each year compared to when we did this study back in 2011. So, you know, with with a, with a reduction in gear loss and a reduction in crab loss and the anecdotal stuff we have going, we're feeling pretty good about, about how we're moving forward right now. Well, that's something to be really proud of. And I, I hear you on how difficult it is to quantify behavior change campaigns. So those numbers sound really promising. And I commend you for continuing to kind of try to figure out how to even improve the metrics and the quantification of that. But it sounds like you're on a really good path that I commend you for all your hard work. And I was also wanting to ask you to share any additional efforts that might be underway to drive those numbers up even further. Right now, we're working on proposing some actual changes in the regulations for the Dungeness crab fishery. That was the impetus for this report we're doing to re- to reevaluate these numbers. Because if, if we're going to go to that length uh, to propose changes in regulations, we need to have the science and the numbers to back it up to so we can explain these impacts and what we think these regulations will do. So in 2015, we did the crab pot escapement study, and so in the Dungeness crab fishery here, every crab pot has a way for crab to escape if the pot does become lost. So if your your pot becomes lost, there's something that's called escape cord. Some people call it rock cord, but basically it's a, it's a natural piece of cord, whether it's cotton, hemp, something like that, that will degrade in the marine environment over time. Once that cord breaks, there is an escapement hatch or some sort of mechanism for crab to escape. But what we learned through removals and other work was that a lot of these escapement mechanisms were not effective. And so with this crab pot escapement study, we found some were as low as 9% effective and some were 100% effective. But with some very simple gear modifications for how crab escape, we were able to make every crab pot that we tested 100% effective in allowing crab to escape. So that's the first thing we want to do is we want to change the escapement mechanism on crab pots. And it's a pretty simple change because every crab pot has an escape ring on it, which allows undersized crab and female crab to escape. So that what we're asking for is rather than have that tack welded on as it is on a lot of pots is just have it tied on with the escape cord and then once that falls away it allows all crab to escape so it's a pretty pretty simple change that we're looking for the next thing we want to do is that escape cord that rock cord is we want to change the thickness of that so it doesn't take so long for it to degrade right now it's a 120 thread count is what they call it and it can take about a depending on the research you're looking at, 105 to 125 days for it to degrade. So that's a long time for that pot to be sitting there still catching crab. Our research showed that it takes about 50 days for a crab to start dying in derelict crab pots. So what we are looking to reduce that to is the 40 thread count. 40 thread count would get that number down to 67 days. There's not a good commercially available option that would have it down to 50 days. So that 40 thread count would get us closer to that 50-day threshold. You know, you would lose some crab, but not that much. And our research shows that if we are able to change the way those crab are able to escape, if we're able to reduce the thread count of that cord, we can go from having 152,000 crab lost every year to only having 75,000 crab lost every year. So that's 58% reduction in what the impacts are. So if we can couple that with what we're doing with trying to reduce pot loss, I mean, that would be, that would have a significant impact. So it's not... I said the outreach is our is our main main driver right now, but we got a lot of things, you know, that we're working on right now to help push that forward even further. Well, that sounds really promising. I'm wondering, given how much groundwork you've laid in the last multiple years working so directly with 
recreational crabbers and others interested in this, if you think you have the support for a regulatory change like you just described? Yes, I do think we have the support for it. You know, we've already had preliminary meetings with Fish and Wildlife. We have support there. And I've had some meetings and discussions with the recreational groups as well. You know, everything, we're kind of coming out of this pandemic now. You know, this this actually got pushed back. We were supposed to be doing this last year. And a lot of this outreach is going to be another big part of it because we need to go out and talk to these fishery groups and explain to them and hopefully get their support and get their backing to help us get this through. So, yeah, it won't be done without them. And uh, we have we have great relationships with the fisheries groups. You know, I mentioned I speak to groups throughout the region, and it's usually because they're reaching out to me and want, and want to learn more. So we feel really good about about the backing we have from the community. I'm not surprised in the least to hear that. The time and energy and effort that you've all put into developing those really strong relationships where there's a lot of trust over the years has got to be key towards this next step you're trying to take. So I wish you luck with that. I want to kind of close with a final question. And I'm just kind of thinking about people around the globe who may be interested in starting up an effort such as this, like trying to reduce lost fishing gear and whatever local water body they may be in. Do you have any advice that you would offer them based on your years working in this? Any lessons learned, things to avoid? I think the number one is make sure you're working with the community. You know, just don't don't think that, you know, you have a heart in marine conservation and so you see a problem and you're going to be the savior. You know, we all, we got to work together, you know, and so it's just, it's going to start with reaching out to the community and, you know, and that, that community, depending where you're at, they probably don't understand the problem, you know, and why it's a problem and perhaps why they should care about it. So, you know, it's really laying the groundwork and building those relationships and just working closely with the community. Well, thank you, Jason Morgan. I really appreciate your time here in the Conservation Cafe studio. It has been an honor and delightful to hear more details of this important work that you're doing. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to another crabbing season. So just a few key takeaways from today's episode. Just kind of a reminder, there's about 10,000 lost crab pots each year just in the Puget Sound region. And that's down from 12,000 estimated previously. So the Catch More Crab campaign is starting to have a measurable impact. And the approach that they're taking is worth noting because it is having an impact. First and foremost, they brought together diverse interests and expertise. Specifically, they brought together the 14 treaty tribes in the region NOAA's Marine Debris Program experts, Department of Fish and Wildlife, the U.S. Coast Guard, vessel towing companies, crab fishery representatives, both the commercial and recreational, and many, many others. And if you've been listening to Conservation Cafe for a while, you know that my job is bringing together various experts and perspectives to try to solve problems. So I commend them for doing this through a series of two workshops where these individuals came together, discussed and agreed to what the scope and scale of the problem was, and agreed to solutions to address it. And not only that, they prioritized those solutions. So that set the stage for Jason and his team to start this Catch More Crab campaign. And that's the next thing that they did that was really smart and effective. They actually hired a social marketing company whose job it was was to understand who the target audience was, where they got their messages from, what kind of messages might resonate with them, and then they delivered the campaign that is starting to work. A couple other quick things that I think are worth noting. One is that 
we talked about the importance of the messenger being just as important as the message itself. In this case, they had local crab fishing folks who would come to workshops and meetings and speak firsthand about their experiences and just relate person to person to the people there. So the messenger being the actual crabbers was super effective. And last but not least, all of this work over the years, all of this trust building, this relationship building has actually set the Northwest Straits initiative up for success in their next task, which is to try to get some regulatory changes specifically to require that the cords and the crab pots are dissolvable. So the problem disappears. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening to Conservation Cafe. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Conservation Cafe. You can find more information, including links to resources mentioned during the episode, at our website, conservationcafe.org. This podcast is a production of Veda Environmental, which connects the dots between science, policy, and people. I'd like to thank my Veda crew, Sarah Brace, Marie Roethlisberger, and Melanie Del Rosario. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.